This is Opposing the Matrix. So you got Dave here, and we have our friend and Dodger fan, uh, oh, well. Ralph Epperson here. <laughs> Love him anyway, folks. Love him anyway. <laughs> I just I am wearing my Dodger cap to show this Yankee man here that I'm looking at on the screen right now. This 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 hat's going to be worn in the World Series, and in six games they're going to remove the hat on your head, and then we're going to win because we're going to be the world champions. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll have to see about that. But, uh, <laughs> folks, last week we did a program, uh, uh, a prelude to it, called the uh, the Conspiracy Against Christianity. And uh, if you're familiar with Ralph's work on that, we did, uh, I think we did parts one and two last week. And this week we're going to be doing parts two, uh, excuse me, three and four. And uh, so, Ralph, um, kind of give everybody uh, a little bit of uh, an idea of what uh, tonight's segment is going to be like. And, well, and, go ahead. Nun. No, that's fine. Go ahead. No, I'll, I was I'll start. Say, um, af- afterwards, we'll um, we'll give you some more information about uh, uh, about the show and uh, what's, what we're going to be doing here in the future in the next couple of weeks uh, with the continuation of this series and everything. But um, I'm going to turn it over to Ralph because he uh, he knows what uh, what's on the on the DVD that you're going to be we're going to be uh, presenting to you, and uh, so Ralph, go ahead and uh, take it over and, uh, and and let everybody know what's going on and especially that Republican thing that was real interesting. Well, let me let me point out we did this uh, to start the program last week. This is a flyer that I printed up, and I'm, I'm, whenever I send a bill out, I send it out, and I'm giving it to people like when I go to a to a, a grocery store or whatever. Because our presidential candidates are offering the people of America free stuff, free college education, free pay off student loan debt, free medical care, free abortions, reparations of payments to the black. Now who's going to pay for all this? Me well, and you. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay. Wealthy are, aren't they? Yeah. Well, notice they don't know. I have to admit, uh, finally, Sanders did say it was going to be that. But let me finish this. Okay. No, because the wealthy have bought off the politicians. They're not going to pay it. Mm-hmm. Who is the middle, the middle class? Right. And here's how. And once again, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm going to do it with your permission to do this, to start with, starting with each program. Uh-huh. So people can get familiar. I want you to learn these words, and you can ex- describe them as well and tell your neighbors, You're, we're going to pay for you and I. Here's how. Economists divide annual salaries into two and a halves. One is called non-discretionary spending, and that's the bills you have to pay. 
the mortgage, insurance, lights, taxes, heat, car payments, etc. If you don't pay your mortgage, you lose your house. If you don't pay your insurance, you can get stopped and get fined. If you don't pay your lights, they turn them off. They turn off the heat. Your car, what's the word? You repossess your car. You got to make these. So they call it non-discretionary spending. Everything else is called discretionary spending. You're free to decide. You want to go see grandma? You look into your checkbook and see how much money we got left over after we make our non-discretionary spending. You say, well, we can do it if we you know, drive with an electric car or whatever it is, or maybe we better wait till next year, or maybe we wanted to buy something that we needed for the house. That's it. So the discretionary is where they're going to tax. They know how much it is. And the reason they know how much discretionary spending is, your income tax tells them. Mm-hmm. You When you pay your income tax, they take your salary minus your expenses and everything else is what you pay your income tax on. That's called the discretionary spending. Right. They know. This is why the middle class are leaving California in record numbers. Why? The middle class pays for all of this nonsense. Mm-hmm. So I want you to get familiar with the two words, the two phrases. One is called non-discretionary spending. Mm-hmm. The bills you gotta pay. Right. And the rest is discretionary. You're free to decide whether you want to go to grandma, but only if you got money left over after you pay your taxes and your insurance and all the other things. Mm-hmm. So please get familiar with these because you're going to have to explain it. You can explain it. The wealthy are not going to pay these uh, free things. We are. Right. And it's already happening in California. They're ripping those people off. There was a notice in here about the uh, a car registration. He had just paid $700 on his car. He did research and found in about 11 states it was 30 to $40. Right, right. Why is it $700? Because they're taxing into the discretionary spending. That now becomes a non-discretionary item. If you don't pay your pay your tax on your car, they, they give you fines if you get stopped without a without insurance or you know, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So you gotta pay that. And if they don't, they'll garnish your wages and everything else. So please, non-discretionary spending and discretionary spending. Now, this is the the, the cover of my DVD. You can see that I've got it all marked up with uh, things taped on there. And we're going to use, define all of these things we're going to discuss today, primarily symbols and numbers. And we're going to talk about the numbers 13, 32, and 33. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about snake worship worldwide. Why? We're going to talk about sun we're S-U-N, worship, worldwide. Why? There's one thing that I wanted to briefly cover, and then we you can start running the program. And you and I talked about this for a few seconds before. I want you to go. Can you get that slide up on the screen, the, the one that you had there? about the, I, I can't get it to where they see it, no. Okay. But I can Bill? describe it. Yeah, okay, go ahead. Describe okay. it. Uh, Ralph had me call this up on, on, uh, on the Internet. And he said, look at the uh, the Republican symbol, the elephant, for uh, 
the way the stars point. And I found a picture, and the picture had, and it says pre-logo, uh, pre-2000 logo, and post-2000 logo. The pre-2000 logo has the symbol of the elephant. And, you know, it's, it's a very ugly symbol of an elephant, by the way. Um, it's just basically a, a, a symbol. There's not even an elephant there, just something that looks like it. And before 2000, the, uh, the star points up. The one below, two th or after 2000, um, the star points down. And it says here, it says, in 2000, the GOP reversed the stars of their logo. An upside-down star is associated with Baphomet, black magic, and other dark occultism. So that's There's no right documentation there. that. They just say it, don't they? Right. I'm going to right. document it. I'm going to prove to you what it means, okay? Sure. Uh, I'm gonna, oh, I just I, I dislodged my picture again. That's okay. Yeah, put it back up there. Yeah, there, there you go. Okay, there. You still have this, your Dodger hat on, but that's okay. <clears throat> that's that's <laughs> people all over the country are going to wear it as a crown of victory pretty soon. This is a book. <laughs> Can you see that? It's called Freemasonry and its Concordant Orders. And you're going to see this cover. This is the book that I have in my possession. You can see I've got it. And we're going to see it and we're going to describe it. This book was written in 1791. Wow. By 72 high-ranking masons. They're all listed by title in the day. It was published in London. Now, we're going to go to two quotes very quickly. And I'm, I'll just do it this way. I'm going to do what you just did, except when I do this, I'm going to quote these two. I'm going to do it from memory. Mm-hmm. When one, when the star points with one point up, that represents the God, goodness, virtue. And when it's down, when it's two, two stars, two points up, and one star point down, it represents, like you just pointed out, Satan and the, and Lucifer, Baphomet, and the, 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 the forces of darkness. Right. Now, why did the Republicans do it in the year 2000? Why? Why? What difference does it make? They were doing it, and I asked you, and you came up with the right answer. They're letting people know that they've been totally taken over by the forces of Satan, Lucifer, Baphomet. That's what it's done. The American boys don't even notice the difference. Mm -hmm. I got a thing in the mail from the Republican Party with the little elephant and the, the points at one point down. Mm -hmm. No one knows what but. Once you start reading and documenting, and I'm doing it with their own literature, the Masons have told us they've now, the, the Republican Party is now part of, of Lucifer Satan, the great conspiracy we've talked about, the ancient history of religion. Right. That's what it's for. Right. So that's what we're going to talk about today, this first uh, uh, two hour segment. First part three, it lasts about 59 minutes, and part four is 57. So you got two hours. And uh, Dave will um, mm -hmm. introduce it, and then we'll watch it. So I won't I won't be uh, listening because uh, uh, I, I'm going to sign off in a minute. And then next week we'll cover parts five and six, and then there's one more. So we got four more hours to go. But I think this these eight hours are on the internet right now, called conspiracy against Christianity. But you're going to watch them because he's playing them from off of the internet. You can. Later on, go there and watch them yourself, and you're going to learn what this conspiracy is all about. Mm -hmm. You know, Ralph, <clears throat> when I was a young boy, my dad always used to tell me, he says, what's going to happen is as time progresses, 
The Soviet Union is going to become more like the United States, and the United States is going to be more like the Soviet Union, so that they're going to kind of meld together. Yeah. And uh, but what you're taking is a is a is an even higher stance and saying that everything in the world is going to come together like that. Mm-hmm. And I have to laugh because uh, my my uh, stepfather was from Scotland, and one of his favorite songs was Loch Lomond. And I'm not I don't know if you're familiar with that, but the uh, oh. The chorus to that song, uh, I'm, and don't worry, I won't sing. Um, I'll, I'll just say the lyrics. Um, it says, uh, you take the high road, and I'll take the low road, and I'll be in Scotland before you, or before ye, because uh, me and my true love will never pass again on the bonnie, bonnie banks of Loch Lomond. But what the whole thing about the song is that one is taking the high road, one's taking the low road, but they're both going to the same place. Yeah, same place, yeah. And that's exactly what the Republicans and the Democrats are doing. Yeah, and every yeah. other party in this country, too. So, um, I, th- I, th- I thought that was quite interesting. And that song, uh, you know, it's a, it's a love ballad, of course, from Scotland. But it sure is a good uh, way to describe what's going on in our country and around the world also. Yeah. You know? <clears throat> so, um do you have anything else to add before we... Uh... That's enough to give some people, uh, hopefully encourage them to watch this, because we're going to get into, uh, back in the 1830s, we have the, the Morgan Affair, where the Masons were found to have murdered one of their own members. Uh, it caused the, the, the first third party in this nation called the Anti-Masons. We'll talk about that. Talk about John Quincy Adams, the president who ripped into the Masons in his own letters. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you'll learn about the KK. We'll also get into Jesse James being a 33rd. This, of course, there's certain elements of previous other DVDs we've already discussed, but you'll see it again. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think you'll find it of great interest, and I just would urge you to sit and watch for four hours, uh, two hours tonight, and just learn about how this hidden symbolism is all around us. Mm-hmm. And we're going to ask questions, and I'm going to answer them during this program. Right, right. So, folks, um, <clears throat> if you walk away with nothing else, um, walk away with the fact that what Ralph has taught me is that history is not accidental. History is all planned out, that everything that happens happens for a reason. Yes. Oh, okay, hold on a second. I um, Something was talking to me. Um, so, uh, and, and nothing is accidental. Everything is, is planned out and uh, that uh, you don't have to look into everything. Look into things that when, when, when things happen, uh, let's say some scandal happens on, on, on the news, don't look at that scandal. Look at everything that's going on peripherally around that scandal. Right, Ralph? Look at yes. everything that's going around peripherally because they, they want you to focus straight ahead while over here they're doing this and over here they're doing that. Yes. So if, if you walk away from nothing with nothing else, um, and I know you walk away with a lot of things, folks, but uh, just remember that, uh, that everything happens for a reason, uh, ultimately because God ordains it, but uh, in this world also because uh, some evil men in this world ordain it. So. Yes. Okay, Ralph, well, we're going to go ahead, uh, stay on after we, uh, we get started, okay? And, uh, and we'll go from there. But, uh, folks, uh, like I said the last two times, and I hope you did, because if you didn't buckle your seatbelt, something might have happened. 
Uh, and we don't want anything to happen to you. So buckle your seatbelts before you grab that popcorn, or after you grab that popcorn, I should say, and get yourself a nice, long, soft drink and and uh, and kick back and watch this because it's going to be something that's really going to educate you like it has me. So, Ralph, I'm going to end this uh, this recording right here, and then we will we'll start the other thing, okay? Thank you very much, Dave. I appreciate your assistance. Uh, uh, yeah. So hold on. No. Part three. Now let me get back to the concealed numbers 32 and 33 to show you that the use of these numbers is worldwide and has been concealed in front of us for centuries. This is perhaps the oldest object I found in my research. It was described as the Egyptian winged symbol of protection. If you count the feathers on each side, you will count 32 on each side. The circle no doubt represents the sun, and of course there are two serpents, one on each side. The Egyptians concealed their worship of Lucifer, also called Satan, the devil, behind the symbol of the sun. This is an American Indian symbol, presumably representing a kachina. Notice that there is a corona around his head, and if you count the lines, you will count 32, and the circle would be the 33rd of this symbol. This is a color photograph of a traveling dance troupe called Ballet Folklorico de Mexico. They are dancing underneath a huge symbol of what would seem to be the sun. If you count the rays emanating from the circle in the center, you will count 32 of them. And then if you count the rays around the smaller circle, you will count 13 of them, thereby linking the numbers 13 and 32. This painting on an animal skin shows what appears to be a symbol of the sun, nourishing, perhaps, what appears to be four corn stalks. If you count the little symbols that look like a small X, there are 32 of them. This is the Catholic Cathedral of Notre Dame in Paris, France. Construction started in 1163 and was completed in 1345. The circle in the front of the church above the doors is called the rose window. If you count the second ring from the edge of the stained glass circle, you will count 32 rays. Then the circle they create would be the 33rd. So the rose window conceals a secret 33. This beautiful gold device is called the monstrance, intended to hold the holy host the Catholic symbol of the bread that Jesus broke during the Last Supper. That is, of course, Pope John Paul II holding the monsters. Count the spines reading from the circle, and you will find 32 of them. The circle plus the number of rays would total 33. The January 21, 1985 edition of People magazine contained this little article about the cassock worn by the Catholic Pope. It mentioned that each Pope wore a traditional cassock with 32 buttons, which means that if the Pope was 5 foot 2 inches tall or 6 foot 7, his cassock would contain 32 buttons. I started looking for a full frontal photograph of the Pope so I could count the buttons. And I found this photograph of Pope John II about two years later. 
I then took it to my photocopier where I could make it larger, and I counted the buttons, and I confirmed that 32 is correct. Now, if the reason the mystery religion recognizes the number 32 and 33 to be significant is because of the number of the vertebrae in the human backbone, then the skull, as I said before, would become the 33rd. The skull, the seat of man's ability to reason. It all fits. A casino, a, a casino operator in Las Vegas wanted to build a pyramid casino and hired an architect to design it. He constructed a model of it, and it was shown in Las Vegas in 1991. If you count the gold bars around the pyramid, you will get 32 of them. You will notice that although most other pyramids in the world are flat on top, this one had a capstone making it the 33rd layer. This particular casino was not completed as designed. Since it was near the Las Vegas airport, the Federal Aviation Administration required them to change the outward appearance to a black glass that would not reflect sunlight into the eyes of the pilots landing at the airport. But the original design was a 32 and 33. And this is what they have coming out of the 33rd ring of the pyramid, the very top. A huge white light that I am told can be seen for hundreds of miles. To show the observer that the Masons were directly involved in the planning and the ending of the First World War, a peace was declared on the 11th hour of the 11th day in the 11th month. Obviously, 11 plus 11 plus 11 equals 33, the number of the highest degree inside Freemasonry. In another coincidence, the communist Fidel Castro completed his revolution by entering into Havana, Cuba's capital, on January the 8th, 1959. If you add those numbers up, they will total 33. January is the first month, 8 is the number of the day, and then 1, 9, 5, and 9 are the numbers of the year, and that all and those all add up to 33. And in another one of those amazing coincidences, he named his Communist Revolution the 26th of July movement. Once again, 26 is the number of the day, and July is the seventh month of the year, totaling 33. In another coincidence in the use of the number, there are 33 giant rubber floats in Macy's Thanksgiving. And there are 11 rows of three cars per row in the Indianapolis 500 road race. The 33-cent postage stamp of the U.S. Post Office shows the combining of the number 33 with the one-pointed star of Lucifer, Satan, the devil, as you will see on the left-hand side of the stamp. You will notice that when the flag is displayed in this position, the stars rotate so that they are shown with one point down. The number 13 is also a symbolic number. And to show you that it appears in the strangest places, if only we know how to look. This is a photograph of a typical Protestant church and one of its windows with 13 panes of glass in it. 
This is an American flag folded so that it would fit into a wooden frame. When the flag is folded, it will be folded 13 times. The number 13 has been adopted by some of the largest businesses in the United States. Here is the logo of the AT&T, and it consists of 13 black lines. This is the logo of Packard Bell, consisting of seven lines and six white spaces between the black lines for a total of 13. This is the picture of a Jeep commander. Notice that the grill has seven black openings and six chrome lines between for a total of 13. This is the logo of the National Museum of the American Indian and has a stylized logo, I would guess representing a man. Notice that his head has 13 rays emanating from it. The number 13 is also a significant number to the Masonic Lodge. This is a page from the April 1960 edition of a Masonic magazine entitled The New Age. Its name was changed to the Scottish Rite Journal years later, in which the Masons discuss the mystical number 13. Notice that the top line says Masonic symbols in a $1 bill. The article says that the number 13 used repeatedly in the Great Seal of the United States was not a coincidence. They wrote that the number has a significant Masonic connection. The article says that there were 13 leaves in the olive branches in the Great Seal, 13 bars and stripes, 13 arrows, 13 stars in the green crest, and 13 layers of stone in the pyramid. This means that the Masons are claiming that the number 13 has a Masonic importance. There are some that claim that the reason that the number is significant on both sides of the Great Seal is because there were 13 states in the original union of states that formed the federal government. But it is my contention that the number is only coincidentally connected to the 13 states. It has a far more sinister symbolism. I would now like to repeat the connection between the number 13, the star, and Satan also known as Lucifer or the devil. Stan Deo, in his book entitled The Cosmic Conspiracy, stated, 13 is the value assigned to represent Satan. While I am here, I would like to briefly discuss the connection between the numbers 13 and 33. We use a system of inches and feet when we measure things, and a system known as the metric system uses millimeters and centimeters. If you compare the length of 13 inches on a ruler against, 13, uh, thir against 33 millimeters besides each other, you will notice that the two measurements are equal in length. Please forgive my incompetence with my computer. I, I make my own slides, and I tried to make these two rulers of equal size as they are, but simply do not have the expertise. And the reason they are equal is because the metric system was created by the Masons inside the French Revolution of 1789. So this is one way you can say that 13 is equal to 33, a Masonic way of saying that Satan's number is equal to the number of the 33rd degree Masons who run the entire Masonic system. Now let me get back to a study of the number 13. 
the words e pluribus unum, one or one out, one of this nation's Latin slogans, translated into one out of many, also have 13 letters in the words. On the pyramid side of the great seal, the two words annuit septus, meaning the announcement of the birth or the birth of, also have 13 letters in them. There are 13 layers of stones in the pyramid. The words Novus Ordo Seclorum have 17 letters in them. And the Roman numerals of M, D, C, C, L, X, X, V, I total nine characters, totaling 26 or twice the number 13. And here's another reason our founding fathers selected the bald eagle as our national bird. The two words American Eagle have 13 letters in them. The words in God we trust total 12 letters, and if you add the word one to 12, you get another 13. And they also conceal another 33. The one has nine units, meaning the O has two, the N has three, and the E has four. There are 11 units of shadows behind the word one. 9 plus 11 equals 20, plus the 1 as a word, plus the 12 letters of In God We Trust. They all total 33, the number of the Masons. This is the drawing of a popular flag utilized in the American Revolution of 1776. The words in the phrases, An Appeal to God and Don't Tread on Me, both have 13 letters in them but there are other concealed Masonic symbols on this flag. The tree appears to be an evergreen like a Christmas tree, meaning it doesn't lose its leaves during the winter. And the words evergreen tree has 13 letters as well. Now let me show you what else the number 13 signifies. When you find someone with 13 letters in their given and family name, you will discover that they are argumentative, radical, crazy, inconsistent, irrational, rude, inconsiderate, and stupid. Uh, <laughs> let me tell you why I did that. One time several years ago, while I was showing all of these uses of the number 13 in our past and how evil the number was to an audience in Tampa, Florida, one of my guests shouted out, yeah, and Ralph Epperson has 13 letters in his name. And I had to admit, even then, that I hadn't thought of that. But notice this. I had no choice in my name, having had it selected for me by my parents. Now, you will have to trust me when I tell you that neither of my parents worship Satan, the devil. But notice this. Our founding fathers and the others who concealed the number 13 had a choice. And they consistently used the number 13 as a symbol of the devil. And they did not tell us why. So that's what this is all about. People have been intentionally selecting symbols all around us because they concealed the number 13, the number representing Satan, the devil. So it was not a coincidence that these phrases and this symbol were selected for these symbols and phrases. Now let me return to other examples of the concealed numbers 13, 32, and 33. This is another American flag with the phrase 
don't tread on me. The snake has 32 yellow triangles along its body, and the head would be the 33rd object. It is quite conceivable that a mason designed this flag that was used in the American Revolution. This is a mural painted on a building here in Tucson, Arizona. It is, of course, a serpent with 32 skulls along its body, so 32 skulls and the snake skull total 33. And for good measure, there are 13 peaks and valleys along the body. Notice that the mouth of the serpent is open. Here we see another serpent, this time in San Jose, California. It is a side view of a statue of a coiled snake called Quetzalcoatl. You will notice that there is a boy sitting on top of the statue, so you can get some idea as to how, as to how large it is. This is a front view showing the open mouth and tongue. So Quetzalcoatl has come to the earth to speak to us. We've already seen the snake with an open mouth shown symbolically elsewhere. Now let me return to the study of Lucifer worship all over the world. This is the base of this temple of Quetzalcoatl in Latin America. And here we see representations of Quetzalcoatl shown at the end of the bright red arrows. You will notice once again that Quetzalcoatl's mouth is open. There is a cluster of rays shown behind Quetzalcoatl's head showing its connection to the sun. The face shown at the end of the green arrow is a sculpture of the last great... <laughs> I'm sorry. I got to say this is written down. Is a sculpture of the, <laughs> the last girl I dated, and I don't know how her face got on this temple. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is the drawing of the Mayan prince Ko fighting an enemy. Notice the protection provided by the huge serpent behind him. The serpent's mouth is open again, and it appears as if he has actually said something. Of special interest, there are 13 suns on the prince's shield, showing us the Mayan knowledge of the connection between the number 13 and the serpent. In this drawing, the Mayan queen Mu is seeking the counsel of a soothsayer. It appears as if the soothsayer speaks what the serpent speaks, meaning she is only a mouth for the serpent. So the Mayans were familiar with the serpent, the great teacher of mankind. Let me go now back to Egypt. The ram-headed Amun is shown in the Egyptian hieroglyphic inside the frame marked A on the left. The circle above his head represents the sun because Amun was the sun god. Just in front and slightly above, shown in the frame mark B, is a serpent coming down the side of the temple. Notice that the serpent also has a circle above its head representing the sun. This picture shows the pharaoh Ramses inside the frame marked A, offering something to Amun, the sun god, letter C. Notice that in front of Amun is a huge serpent, letter B, showing a connection between the sun god and the serpent. King Tut is probably the most famous of the Egyptian pharaohs, and this magnificent artwork shows his likeness with two symbols around his forehead. The vulture signifies his rule over Upper Egypt, and the serpent his rule over Lower Egypt. 
Amun, sometimes referred to as Amun-Ra, is the Egyptian sun god. This National Geographic's photo shows Amun as a goat, remember that, as a goat, with the round sun on top of his head. The two objects that look like eyes are actually the two spaces made by the two curled horns. The goat's eyes are below that. These, I'm sorry, there are two serpents underneath the sun circle showing a connection of the serpent, the sun, and the ram symbol. This might very well be the source of the goat named Baphomet, this being the being represented, being worshipped by the Knights Templar. In other words, Baphomet is a more modern version of Amun-Ra, the Egyptian sun god. Now, to take this serpent worship from Egypt and Latin America, let me show you some random pictures of the serpent being worshipped around the world. This is a picture of the snake temple in Vietnam, taken from a book I read on the Vietnamese War. Notice that there are two snake heads outside the temple. Once again, notice their mouths are open. This is a photograph of a serpent boat post taken off of a Viking ship from one of the Scandinavian countries. You could argue that this was the way the Vikings were asking the serpent god to guide them safely through the waters as they sailed. This picture shows the lion god from India with seven cobra snakes behind it, each wearing what appears to be a crown. Apparently the Indians are stating that the serpents are the real power behind their lion god. And finally, in this section, we come back to America. This is a recent photograph of an American Indian holding a snake in his mouth. The caption underneath says that the snake represented Quetzalcoatl, the Latin American serpent god. I want to make this clear. There has been a secret 6,000-year-old worship of Satan the devil on this earth. And I also want to make it clear that this worship has been concealed inside the symbols of the sun and the serpent. That means that the average American, and especially the American Christian, does not connect the worship of a snake with the snake in the Garden of Eden. But the Bible makes that clear, that the serpent in the Garden of Eden was Satan, the name of the devil. Let me support that statement directly from the scriptures. This is from Genesis chapter 3, verse 4 where the serpent was tempting Eve in the Garden of Eden. And the serpent said, notice, he said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. Notice that the scriptures say that the serpent said, meaning it had the power of speech. That would explain why the snakes in Latin America have their mouths open. Now let me link the serpent with the devil by reading a scripture from the book of Revelation. This is Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. So man can know that the serpent was indeed the devil. I previously established that Quetzalcoatl is a serpent god and that the serpent was a symbol of Satan, the devil. Now let me show you one reason to know that the Masons worship the devil. This is a funeral notice that appeared in our local newspapers just a few uh, years ago. It shows a picture of a 32nd degree mason 
also a member of the Shriners, wearing his fez. I put a red label over his face so as to not embarrass his family should they ever see this slide. Now notice down in the obituary, shown under the yellow highlighter, that he was a member of the Order of Quetzalcoatl, an order apparently inside the Masonic fraternity. The Masons know that Quetzalcoatl is a serpent god and that the serpent was a symbol of Satan, the devil. And this Mason was a member of an order named after Satan, the devil. I would now like to visit the 33rd degree temple in Washington, D.C. to show you many of these symbols inside that temple. This is once again the book written by Jim Shaw, the Christian who was selected to go through the 33rd degree ritual in this temple. On page 102, he says this about the 33rd degree temple. The thing that is most noticeable is the way the walls are decorated with serpents. There are all kinds, some very long and large. Now, this is an official photograph of the Masonic officers taken inside the temple. You will notice two twisted snakes up in each of the two corners of the photograph. This is the close-up of the coiled snake in the upper right-hand uh, corner of the first picture. You will notice that the snake's mouth is open once again, and you can just see the beginnings of the wings on the snake's head on the right side. So this is a feathered serpent. This is another picture taken of a snake inside the 33rd degree temple, and it clearly shows the open mouth and the wings upon the side of the head. But there is one more symbol I want to point out to you. If you will look just above the head and to the left, you will see a swastika contained in the molding above the snake. In case you didn't see it or don't see it, I've made another copy of the picture and filled in the swastika in red. The swastika is a symbol of the revolving sun and was selected as the emblem of the German Nazi party by, of Adolf Hitler that was used during World War II. Here it is shown on the Nazi flag. And here we see it on the armband of Adolf Hitler himself in an official portrait. And the symbol is contained in the molding around a feathered serpent, the symbol of Lucifer, also, contained, also called Satan. Or the devil. This is a color photograph inside the 33rd degree temple. It is of what appears to be a huge stained glass window with two words on the top. I don't know exactly what the two words fiat lux, lux means, but my dictionary says that the word lux is a word for light and the word fiat means a decree or order issued by an authority, or in the words of the dictionary, let it be done. So it seems to say, let there be light. I have two, I have put two white borders around the swastikas at the ends of the two words. If you can see them, you will notice that they are different and that one revolves to the right and the other revolves to the left. Both of these symbols are of a rotating sun, but one represents the good sun and the other, the evil. 
So it is very important that we distinguish between the two forms of the swastika. It is known by researchers that this form, the one shown on the Nazi flag, is the evil form. And it, all, it is also known that Adolf Hitler chose this form over the other. These words radiate down to the temple in 32 rays. So the rays plus the two words equal 33. This is the close-up of one of the borders of the window. And there, once again, you can see the swastikas, the sign of the Nazi party in Germany. But notice that they are reversed. Because, as I said, there are two forms of the swastika, one revolving to the left and one revolving to the right. One is evil and one is good. Jim Shaw, in his book, The Deadly Deception, pointed out one more symbol we must discuss in the 33rd degree temple in Washington, D.C. He wrote this. High above the entrance is an elaborate image of the Egyptian sun god. Backed with a radiating sun and flanked by six large golden snakes. I've been unable to find a picture of this image, but I can show you slides that I took that show at least part of this symbol. This is the first of those two slides I took, and it shows the image behind the columns on the second floor. It is hard to see, but it looks like they have built into the symbol the winged Egyptian snake we looked at earlier right in the middle, just above the white top of the first floor. I believe you can see the rays protruding from the center. It is impossible from this slide alone to count them, so I shall not even make a calculated guess. This is the second slide I took as I moved further to the right. I think you can still see a part of the sun symbol in the center, but I want you to please look at the lower right-hand corner, and I think you will see some of the snakes that Mr. Shaw was referring to. This is as close as I can do I can do with my computer and my scanner, etc., but it's a close-up of this section. But I put a white square around two of the golden snakes referred to by Mr. Shaw. And then I made another close-up to show you the feathered serpents. This appears to be the inside view of the symbol and the snakes taken from inside the temple. Uh, this particular picture was not captioned, but I guess it, it is the very symbol we saw from the other side of the building. Please remember the words of Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. And the serpent said unto the woman, and it is presumed that the serpent had to open his mouth to speak. Hence, the feathered serpent who has an open mouth on the walls of the 33rd degree temple in Washington, D.C. Now, let me show you one connection between the number 33 and Lucifer, also called Satan, the devil. The Morse code was invented in 1842 by Samuel F.B. Morse. It consists of substituting dots and dashes for the letters of the English language. I prepared this table to show you that the numbers of dots and dashes in the word Lucifer are as follows. The Morse code for the letter L is three dots and one dash. The letter U is two dots and one dash and so forth. So there are a total of 15 dots in the letters Lucifer and six dashes. 
Each dash is equal to three dots, meaning the telegraph key is held down, or perhaps even held up, by the operator for the length of three dots. So six times three is equal to, of course, 18. 15 plus 18 totals 33. Just a, co a coincidence, I am certain. Another series of hidden symbolism occurred in the selection of July the 4th, the founding date of this nation. The words, of course, have 13 letters in them. But there is another more important concealed symbol in that date, which I will explain later. The year 1776 has a hidden symbolism as well. The last two numbers in the date, meaning the 7 and the 6, when added together, of course, total 13. As, as is being shown, this is no coincidence, it is symbolic. The Founding Fathers waited precisely 13 years from the year of the Declaration of Independence in 1776 and the creation of the first constitutional government in 1789. General George Washington, later our first president, and a very visible members, member of the Masons, had 12 other generals on his step. 12 plus himself, of course, equals 13. 13 people worked on the Great Seal of the United States. The Navy of the United States had a committee of 13 controlling all naval affairs, and the first fleet of ships had precisely 13 ships in it. The Confederate flag of the South, utilized during the latter stages of the American Civil War, had 13 stars on it. If you presume that each star stood for an individual state, as it did in the American flag, there should have been only 11 stars in the Confederate flag because there were 11 states in the Confederacy. This flag was adopted as the flag of the Confederacy in 1863, about midway in the Civil War. There is no way that the 11 states were anticipating the addition of two more states to their cause so that there would have been one star for each of the 13 states. 11 states started the Civil War in the Confederacy, and 11 states finished it. So one can only wonder how much involvement the Masons had in the creation and continuation of the Civil War. And to show you the involvement of the Masons in the United Nations, the two words have 13 letters as well, and I'm certain another, another coincidence. George Washington, this nation's first president, hired a French Mason, Major Pierre-Charles Lay-Enfant, an officer who had served with General Washington during the American Revolution, to lay out the streets of the city. So the city was laid out as a, was laid out, the city was laid out by a member of the Masons. To understand the hidden symbolism in the city streets, it becomes important to study the Masonic symbols known as the square and the compass. A square is a piece of metal cut so as to be in the form of a 90 degree right angle. The compass is of course a device that consists of two legs joined at the top used to draw circles. The letter G in the center stands for Gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S, -S, and not God as is claimed by some Masons. So the G stands for Gnosis meaning 
knowledge. And I believe it means the true knowledge of deity. The Masons worship knowledge as their God. When combined in this manner, they become the two symbols of the Masonic Lodge. Once the observer turns the square and the compass sideways, then compares them to the layout of the streets of Washington, D.C., the map will reveal its secrets because the city is laid out with many of the squares, angle lines, and circles consistent with the square and compass of the Masonic Lodge. This is a photocopy of a map of this nation's capital. The capital building is shown in red on the right. It appears as if the square and the compass have been laid out on top of the capital building itself, shown in the gray area to the right. It, it appears that the Masons are attempting to conceal the fact that they consider the capital building to be under their control. And this is a photocopy of the original layout designed by Pierre Charles L'Enfant. You will notice numerous squares and compasses designed into the city. This is another slide taken of the streets around the Capitol building. You could argue that those lines drawn in red over these streets make it look like a highly stylized drawing of an owl. You could certainly see other objects or animals there, but if it is an owl, then this slide has some bearing. This is the upper right-hand corner of your dollar bill. You'll notice some odd-shaped lines inside the circle placed over them. Those lines are shown in a close-up, and you could argue that that little object is an owl as well. If it is, it might have some bearing on our story, because the owl has been described as a very wise animal, so maybe it is a symbol of wisdom. But you can interpret those lines as you wish. And to show you that the nations, that the Masons, to show you that the Masons created this capital, let me show you this drawing of George Washington laying the cornerstone of the Capitol building on September the 18th, 1793. Notice that nearly all of the other participants are wearing their Masonic jewelry and aprons. This photograph was taken from the New York Times on the day after the 200th anniversary of the laying of the cornerstone by the Masons. The caption says that members of Congress, historians, and Freemasons gathered yesterday to reenact the ritualistic laying of the cornerstone. Everyone who voted for this reenactment to take place may signify by saying, I, uh, uh, of course I can't hear you, but I would dare say there was no vote, no petition drive, no television show raising money to fund the event. The Masons just did it without our permission. So it appears as if Albert Pike was correct when he wrote in his book entitled Morals and Dogma, the world will soon come to us, meaning the Masons, for its sovereigns, apparently meaning its governmental leaders, and pontiffs, apparently meaning its religious leaders. We shall be the rulers over the masters of the world. So the Masons will be the secret power behind the religions and the governments of the world. It appears that the American people have been coming to us, the Masons, for over 200 years for its sovereigns.
But the Masonic involvement in the history of this nation does not end here. There is more to be learned about their involvement in the founding of this nation. If you multiply 13 by the number 13 by itself, in other words, 13 by 13, the result is, of course, 169. If you subtract this number from the year of the founding of this nation, in other words, 1776, you will arrive at the number 1607, the date that the first settlers arrived in America. If you add the number 169 to 1776, you will get the year 1945, the year that Harry Truman, the President of the United States, dropped the two atomic bombs on Christians in Hiroshima and Nagasaki in Japan. But there is more. From July 4th, 1945 to August the 6th, 1945 is 33 days. Just another coincidence, I will presume. There is more to discuss about the dropping of the two atomic bombs, and we shall discuss that material later in this series. The streets of Washington, D.C. contain another hidden symbol, one that must be explained first. The five-pointed star is a common symbol utilized in a variety of ways. Here are the five-pointed here the five-pointed star is shown on the left the way we usually draw it, and it is shown in the flag and as it is shown in the flag of the United States, where each of the fifty of them symbolize one of our fifty states. The star is placed with one of its five points up and two of its five points down. However, the star can also be reversed so that only one point is down and two are up, and that is shown in the star to the right. This star is the symbol of the Eastern Star Masonic Organization for Women. This distinction is explained in a book entitled History of Freemasonry and Concordant Orders, published in 1891 by a series of 78 high-ranking members of the Masonic Lodge. One of their members, William R. Singleton, a 33rd degree Mason, wrote about the star in his article entitled The Divine Plan. This is that portion of the article showing the two stars, one with one point up and the other with one point down. Notice that the drawing to the right shows the head of a goat inside of it, obviously referring to the goat of Mendes, a symbol of the devil. This is how the article described the two stars. This star with five rays represents God. All that is pure, virtuous, and good. When represented with one point upward. But when turned with one point down, it represents evil. All that is opposed to the good, pure, and virtuous. It represents the goat of Mendes. This is a drawing of the goat of Mendes, also called Baphomet, shown on the cover of a book about witchcraft 
written by a practicing witch, Doreen Valiente. Notice that the drawing shows a goat head on a human body. Notice also that the goat has female breasts, indicating that the goat is bisexual. This thought about the five-pointed star is repeated on page 101 of the same book, the book about the concordant orders. Those words are reproduced in the following. When the star elevates two of its points, it represents Satan or the goat of the mysteries. Now that we know that the five-pointed star, when reversed and with one point down, is the star of the devil, perhaps we should ask the Republican Party why they reversed the three stars on their logo. I don't know when they did this, but this shows us that they did. Why would the Republican Party reverse the star so that it represents the star of Satan? What is the Republican Party trying to tell us, those of us who know what their symbol represents? This is a Masonic Bible given to me by one who received it as a gift and didn't want it. This Bible is an authorized King James Version with about 73 pages of notes written for the Mason who reads it. This is the Eastern Star on the cover of a Masonic Bible. It's hard to see in the lower right-hand corner. However, this is a close-up of the star in the corner, showing it is the star of the eastern star. The star of Lucifer, Satan, the devil, is on the cover of a Masonic Bible. And here is the five-pointed star laid out in the streets north of and above the White House, the box at the lower middle of the map, the home of the president, of the United States. Notice that the star laid out in the streets of Washington, D.C. is a five-pointed one with one point down and two points up. By the way, the black rectangle shown on the top center is the location of the 33rd degree Masonic Temple in Washington, D.C. This is that temple located just 13 blocks, 13 blocks north of the White House in the city of Washington, D.C. I am sure it is a coincidence that it's precisely 13 blocks north of the White House. This picture is a composite of two pictures I took with my camera when I visited the temple in 1990. But I would like you to notice two things. Notice that there are 13 courses of stone on the pyramid on the top of the building. These duplicate the number of courses shown on the pyramid on the back of our dollar bill. And secondly, Notice that the pyramid on top is also flat. I believe that a flat pyramid means that their God has not yet occupied the building. This is a somewhat gray picture of the same temple taken from a Masonic magazine. It shows the flat pyramid a little better because the picture was taken from an elevated position. Now I would like to return to the discussion of the connection between the number 13 the star, and Satan, also known as Lucifer or the devil. Let me repeat the quotation taken from Standeo in his book entitled The Cosmic Conspiracy that we've looked at before. It stated, 13 is the value assigned to represent 
Satan. But there are other explanations of the number 13, one of which was offered by Manly P. Hall, who said that there were 12 great religions in the world, and the 13th was the one concealed inside the other 12, or common to them all. What he was saying was that there was a secret concealed worship of a particular god in each of the 12 other great religions. And my research has indicated to me that that particular God concealed in the 12 great religions of the world is Satan, the devil. All of these 12 religions have a different view of God, but apparently they all have a secret worship of Lucifer, the devil, inside the visible worship. I would like to explain what this means. Let's say that all of the believers in Osiris, the Egyptian sun god, are inside the circle. Everyone else is outside the circle because they do not believe in Osiris. Inside the circle is a small percentage of believers who share a common secret. That secret is that Osiris is, in truth, Lucifer, also called Satan, the devil. Those that believe this or who know this are called adepts, princes, or illuminated ones. And their task is to keep the secret from the rest of the believers. This is what Mr. Hall was saying. And I would like to add my own opinion as to why the number 13 is significant to these conspirators. As far as I know, six is the number of man, and seven is the number of completion or perfection. If the two numbers are added together, the total is 13 or perfected man. This secret worship believes that through it, man can become perfect. In fact, this conspiracy believes that we common people are homo sapiens man, according to the theory of evolution. And they, the illuminated ones, have evolved into a higher form of mankind, meaning those who are illuminated because they know the true knowledge of deity are called homo noeticus man. So the number 13 contains a secret hidden occult meaning. And this is why the number 13 is significant and symbolic. There is one more significant insight as to why this nation's founding fathers chose the date of July the 4th to declare America's independence from Great Britain. The old Julian calendar was changed in the year 1582 by an order of Pope Gregory the 13th. I don't know what the significance of that. That might be a coincidence. I don't know. It might not be. We'll see. The acknowledged reason was because the old calendar was 13 days behind the sun. In other words, the old calendar was no longer accurate in measuring the solar year. So the astronomers were having a difficulty in measuring the time it took for the Earth to make one complete revolution around the sun. So in October of 1582, the old June 23rd became July the 4th. June the 23rd was three days after the summer solstice, the day that the sun appears to be stopped after making its way north of the equator. So it was a day of jubilation for those who thought the sun, and therefore the sun god, sun god died on each June the 20th. 
Babylonians in the past celebrated that night by lighting bonfires to Baal, their sun god. And Americans light fires in the sky called fireworks after sunset on that day. Observers will quickly note that this used to be the only American holiday that is celebrated by fireworks. Now, of course, they shoot them off for all sorts of reasons, but that wasn't always the case. So here we see a connection between July the 4th and sun worship. So the founding fathers concealed a holiday to the sun god in their choice of date of the date of July the 4th to declare their independence from Great Britain. It appears that many things once thought unexplainable have an explanation after all. One must only look. I would like to return my study to my study. I would like to return to my study of the Masonic Lodge. As I've said before, I would say that the average American, if they know anything about the Masons, would say that they appear to be a group of good men with noble causes. And one of the reasons they believe this way is because of an advertisement placed in Tucson's morning newspaper, There's Our Daily Star, on April 25, 1983. This advertisement contained a statement of their purposes and goals, and it read in part, No organization of human origin in all probability has ever exercised a greater influence over the affairs of mankind than that which is known under the general name of Freemasonry. Notice that they here agree with Manly P. Hall's assessment that they are the most powerful organization in the land. This is another picture of Albert Pike, once again, a 33rd degree Mason. He was a very prolific writer and wrote many of the key books of the Masonic Lodge, including all of the rituals. He was quoted on page 18 in this book, entitled The Builders, by Joseph Fort Newton of the Grand Masonic Lodge of Iowa. Pike wrote, Freemasonry is more ancient than any of the world's living religions. These writers are telling us that masonry is many thousands of years old and that they are extremely powerful. Let me now continue the quotation from Manly P. Hall. The Scottish Rite Creed is the enfranchisement of human thought. The enfranchisement of human thought, our supreme wish, and freedom of human conscience, our mission. I will examine what those words mean because the Masons just revealed the true purpose of their lodge in language that concealed it from the average person. Those words have a hidden meaning only knowable to the Mason who knows the secret. But as we shall continue, we shall see exactly what they mean. I love to ask any member of the Masons the following question after he tells me that these noble causes are the goals of the Masons. If you are such a wonderful organization, why not just come out from behind 
all of this secrecy and publicly tell the whole world of your purposes. And we will all join. And the answer to this question is obviously obvious. Because they are concealing a hidden agenda, one that they will not make public until they wish it to become known. And the date of that revealing is very near. And my research has discovered that we have had warnings about their role in the affairs of the world for centuries. This is Charles Finney, born in 1792 and died in 1875, who was called the greatest preacher, theologian, and evangelist of the 19th century. One of his biographies on the Internet said this about him. No other person has influenced the subject of revival in American like Charles Finney. Mr. Finney was a very, very vocal critic of Freemasonry. His comments on the subject have been reprinted in this book called The Antichrist or the Masonic Society. This is what he wrote. It was a great evil. It was injurious to state and church. It was a political conspiracy that there was nothing that was morally good. It was an opponent of Christianity. It was an abominable institution. And then he admitted that he joined Masonry soon after he was 21 years old at the request of an uncle of his. He then wrote on page 116, the great mass of the fraternity are utterly deceived as I was myself. Uh, <laughs> other than that, he really liked <laughs> he really liked the Masonic organization. The Masons are very proud of the fact that George Washington, this nation's first constitutional president, was a member of the Masons. This is a drawing of the president in his Masonic attire. Just as a matter of interest, please look at Washington's feet. He has moved them so that they form a right angle, and this is called standing on the square by the Masons. So the Masons honor George Washington as a Mason. But they are strangely silent on the thoughts of another president, John Quincy Adams, the sixth president of the United States, who was elected in 1824 and served one term from 1825 to 1829. His thoughts on Freemasonry have been published in this book entitled Letters on Freemasonry. Before I read his comments, I would like to define a word that perhaps you are not familiar with. That word is ad hominem. It is defined as attacking one's opponent rather than debating the issue. Now that you know this is possible, please pay attention to the comments of John Quincy. I endured from individuals of the fraternity instigated by the passions of the order, falsehood by statements in their newspapers, abusive slander and vituperation 
It has been erroneously stated in a newspaper edited by a high Masonic dignitary in Boston that I was a Mason. I had declared that I was not and never should be a Mason. And we will continue with the reasons he was attacked on part four. I would like to continue discussing the thoughts of former President John Quincy Adams from his book entitled Letters on Freemasonry. He said, Masonry is the greatest political e evil. It is a secret and lawless conspiracy against the equal rights of the many. Masonry betrayed their duty to their country and their God. Masonry is vicious, contrary to the laws of God, to the laws of humanity, and to the laws of this land. Masonry, if not the greatest, is one of the greatest moral and political evils. The oaths are shameful to be uttered by the lips of Christian men. The anti-Masonic party ought not to subside till Freemasonry shall have ceased to exist in this country. What he was referring to was this nation's first third party called the Anti-Masonic Party. In fact, they were the first party to hold a nominating convention and the first to announce a platform. On September the 26th, 1831, convening in Baltimore, it nominated William Wirt of Maryland for the presidency. The first anti-Masonic party was formed in New York, and one of its leading members was William Seward, who later served as Abraham Lincoln's Secretary of State. He is best remembered today for his role in the purchase of Alaska from Russia after the Civil War. The reason that the anti-Masons were formed was because of the murder of Captain William Morgan. Morgan was a captain in the War of 1812 and a member of the Masons, who decided to publish their secret rituals in a book he called Freemasonry Exposed. This book was published in 1826, and later that year, on September the 11th, the Masons dropped Captain Morgan into the Niagara River near Batavia, New York. This is a picture of a statue erected to the memory of Captain Morgan in that city of Batavia. This is the base inscribed with Captain Morgan's name. And this is what it says on one of the four sides to the monument. Sacred to the memory of William Morgan. A martyr to the freedom of writing, printing, and speaking the truth. He was abducted from near this spot in the year 1826 by Freemasons and murdered for revealing the secrets of their order. After the, mor the murder of Mor- after the, <laughs> after the murder of Captain Morgan, the Masons gathered around to protect the murderers. John Quincy Adams spoke about what happened to the punishment of the murders of Captain Morgan. 
Look at the government of New York. Struggling in vain from 1826 to 1831 to bring the perpetrators of the murder to punishment. You will find witnesses refusing to testify upon the express ground of Masonic obligations. Avowing that they consider those obligations paramount to the laws of the land. Masonic sheriffs, jurors, and witnesses betrayed their duty to their country and their God to screen the guilty from punishment. Lodges aided and abetted in the concealment of the crimes and in the escape of the criminals from justice. And the reason is Masons defend their institution. Now, I would like to discuss the oaths that all Masons in the Blue Lodge took and ones that bound the Masons to an act of murder. In the third degree, as course called the Master Mason degree, the Masons took this oath. There's the third degree Master Mason. This is an oath he took in that third degree. I promise and swear that I will obey all and notice that the oath said all summonses of a brother, Master Mason. And here's another related oath that the Mason took. I promise and swear that I will go on a Master Mason's errand whenever required. That means that the third degree Mason called a Master Mason will obey all orders, even ones that order him to murder. And here's the oath to protect their murdering brothers. I promise and swear that a Master Mason's secrets given to me as such shall remain as secure and inviolable in my breast as in my own when communicated to me. Murder and treason accepted. And then this is qualified by these words. And they left to my own election. So it appears that the Mason would not have had to obey a summons to murder Captain Morgan because it would be left to his own election. But then how do you explain what President Adams said when he said that all sorts of Masons and their lodges did all they could to protect the murderers of the captain? Even though they were free to choose not to follow an order to murder, many did not choose to do so. That must mean that the remainder of the oath had been brought to the Masons' attention by those who wanted Morgan dead and that the Masons should not choose not to obey any summons such as the one to murder the captain. Because no one was ever charged with the murder of Captain Morgan. And it is my opinion that they were told that they would never be punished for their act. So it is true that Captain Morgan took an oath not to reveal the secrets of the Masonic Lodge. And many of his fellow Masons wanted him to pay the price of his oath for the fact that he published his book containing their secrets. Now, a Masonic website on the Internet is of the opinion that Morgan was not murdered. In fact, they have written, there is no proof that Morgan was ever murdered. However, there is proof. Charles Finney, in his book, informs his readers that there was a deathbed confession of one of the murders of Captain Morgan. 
This confession was written down by Dr. John Emery in 1848 and made public in a pamphlet published in 1849. It quotes a man named Henry L. Valance. My last hour is approaching. It was resolved in a council that Morgan must die. The sentence was to sink Morgan in the river with weights. Morgan was placed in the front of the boat. I took a cord and the weights and fastened them to Morgan. I bade, bade, bade the man to stand up and I gave him a strong push with both of my hands. He fell overboard and the waters closed over the mass. Now these were the days when deathbed confessions were considered to be truthful and could be used in court. And I would rather trust a Christian minister of Mr. Finney's incredible character than a Mason who takes an oath not to tell the truth about a brother's crimes. So I tend to believe that Captain Morgan paid for his breaking of the oath with his own life. And that the Masons who say he did not die are simply not telling the truth. There is one other quote, or oath, one other oath that I would like to quote from Captain Morgan's book to show you just what sort of humans these Masons are. The oath reads, I promise and swear that I will not violate the chastity of a master mason's wife, mother, sister, or daughter, knowing the, I knowing them to be such. Notice that this oath gives the masons permission to violate the chastity of another man's wife, mother, sister, or daughter, as long as the other man is not a master mason. He can also violate the wife, mother, sister, or daughter of any first or second degree mason. He is not only to violate the female, he is only not to violate the female members of a third degree master mason's family. You cannot argue the fact because that is what it says. One can only wonder why the masons felt it was important to even bring the subject up during an initiation. And why didn't they just say, I promise that I will not violate the chastity of any man's wife, mother, sister, or daughter, but they didn't. Now let me continue my discussion about the Masonic Lodge. This quotation comes from page 433 of a book entitled Lectures on Ancient Philosophy, written by Manley P. Hall. This is what he wrote. Freemasonry is a fraternity within a fraternity, an outer organization concealing an inner brotherhood of the elect. It is necessary to establish the existence of these two separate yet interdependent orders, the one visible and the other invisible. The visible society is a splendid camaraderie of free and accepted men, enjoined to devote themselves to fraternal and humanitarian concerns, meaning that he is acknowledging that these humanitarian concerns 
that the public sees are a front for something else. The Invisible Society is a secret and most august, then he uses the word uh, august meaning defined as of majestic dignity and grandeur. So it is a secret of a most august fraternity whose members are dedicated to the service of a mysterious arcanum, arcandrum, defined as a secret, a mystery. Now, I call these two orders inside the Masonic fraternity the first layer that does not know the secrets and the second layer that does. I was given a book in 1990 entitled A Bridge to Light by the author Rex Hutchins himself, in which I learned that Albert Pike had written additional books besides Morals and Dogma, the only one that I was aware of. Mr. Hutchins's book lists two additional books that Mr. Pike wrote entitled Magnum Opus and Legenda. Those are additional to Morals and Dogma. I found a Masonic source for these two books, a bookstore owned by a man who claimed to be a 32nd degree Mason, so I purchased and then read them. And as I read these books, I discovered the single secret inside the Masonic Lodge. Their secret is something that all thinking Americans should be concerned about. And it is certainly a secret that we Christians should be concerned about. This might be the appropriate time to repeat my statement that I am not a member of the Masons, nor have I ever been. And I would never apply for membership. And I never have applied. So I am not betraying any oath when I tell the truth about Masonry. The Masons have been encouraged to find this secret on their own. I would like to read you the thoughts of Albert Pike about the secret. He wrote, it is for you to discover this secret. Notice that there is but one secret, and you discover the secret for yourself. No man can understand these degrees fully without close and long study and profound thought. The initiated brother realizes that few Masons of today know or appreciate the mystic meaning concealed within these rituals. And in fact, Mr. Pike says that those who don't see the secret are ignorant. Albert Pike wrote, Masonry permits the utterance of false interpretations which serve the purpose of misleading the ignorant whom it is desirable to lead astray. Notice what Albert Pike just said. Few brothers know the secret, and those who don't are ignorant. Pike just admitted that the majority of Masons are ignorant. I think it would be helpful for me to briefly tell you a little bit about this man, Albert Pike himself. He was the Sovereign Grand Commander, the Masonic equivalent of the International President of the Scottish Rite of Freemasonry from 1859 to 1891. Mr. Pike, during the years between 1855 and 1857, was also the prime author 
of all of the rituals for the 33 degrees inside the lodge. And during Mr. Pike's leadership of the Scottish Rite, he was an early member of another organization. Henry Wilson coiled another 33rd degree mason with the assistance of three other 33 degree masons, wrote Coils, Masonic, Encyclopedia in 1961, and he added this biographical insight into Mr. Pike's past on page 620 of his book. In May of 1866, uh, please remember that Mr. Pike was Sovereign Grand Commander from 1859 to 1891, which means he was the leader of the worldwide Masonic movement when he got involved with this other secret society. So in May of 1866, a group of returned veterans from the Civil War, which ended in 1865, organized a social and recreational society. The name Kuklos was Greek for band or circle, being suggested, which was promptly converted into Ku Klux and then Klan, abbreviated to the KKK, naturally followed. Albert Pike was the chief judicial officer of the KKK. The recognized founder of the Ku Klux Klan was Confederate General Nathan Bedford Forrest. This is volume two of a four-volume set entitled 10,000 Famous Freemasons, and their short biography on the general is on the right, showing that the Masons have acknowledged that he was a member of the Masonic Lodge. Another of the men directly involved with the Ku Klux Klan was Jesse James, the famous outlaw, although he became later became involved several years later. As I pointed out to you, he did not die in 1882, but history has recorded that he lived to be 103, and he was a major figure in our past for those 70 years. And by the way, Jesse James became a 33rd degree Mason. This story is so incredible that I had to write my book entitled Jesse James, United States Center to Expose His Involvement in This Nation's Past. That book was published in 1993, and it is true. Jesse James was elected a United States Senator from the state of Montana, and all of this is documented in my book. And then in 2009, I prepared a four-hour DVD entitled Jesse James Lived to Be 103, and uh, lived. that was done in uh, the year 2009, as I said, and this was to update my research. So the Masons played a major role in the Civil War and in the planning of a second war after the first one. And as a way of showing you that they did, please consider this fact. K is the 11th letter in the American language, and there are three Ks in the name Ku Klux Klan. Three times 11 is, of course, 33, meaning the number of the highest degree inside the Scottish Rite of Freemasonry, showing that the Masons were behind the creation of the Ku Klux Klan. And by the way, one more thought. The words Ku Klux Klan have 13 letters in them. And shortly after they were formed, they started a series of outrages against Southern blacks. 
The Ku Klux Klan was actually created by a group, excuse me, called the Knights of the Golden Circle, a group of European bankers who planned a civil war in 1837, 24 years before it started. They got the Masons to help organize it amongst the male population in America. And the purpose of the Knights of the Golden Circle and the Ku Klux Klan was to start a second civil war. You will no doubt remember the cry after the Civil War ended, the South shall rise again. I believe this was meant to tell the Southerners that they would rise again in another war against the North. That war never came about, and I do not know why. As I've said, there is evidence that the 33rd Degree Council runs all of the Masonic Lodges all over the world. As one of those evidences, let me remind you of the statue of Albert Pike in Washington, D.C. The plaque at its base was put there by the 33rd Degree Council, and it reads, Dedicated to the loving memory of Albert Pike, leader of the worldwide Masonic movement. So the 33rd Degree Masons have acknowledged that Mr. Pike was the leader of the entire Masonic movement as the president of the 33rd Degree Council. Now, this is a copy of the application that a third-degree Blue Lodge Mason completes to receive the fourth through 32nd degrees from the ancient and accepted Scottish Rite of Freemasonry. The introductory paragraph of the form states, I do, I do hereby petition for the degrees from the fourth to 32nd inclusive. And I promise always to bear true faith and allegiance to the Supreme Council of the 33rd degree. So every Mason in the Scottish Rite of Freemasonry pledges allegiance to the 33rd degree Masonic Council. So that council not only runs all of the worldwide Masonic lodges, it controls each of the individual 32nd degree Masons as well. They've agreed to that control by signing the application. Now, this is a map of the United States, and I put a red line on the 33rd degree northern latitude. Latitudes are imaginary lines that are parallel to the equator. And there are 90 of them to the north and the south. Uh, there's another one in the south uh, latitude. So the 33rd degree northern latitude would be about one-third of the way to the North Pole. There is a comparable line on the other side, as I said, called the 33rd degree north, uh, southern latitude. But it is the northern one that I want to discuss. There have been some very interesting things happening underneath this imaginary line, especially important to the Masonic Lodge. The Masons created their first 33rd degree council in Charleston, South Carolina. That council was later moved to Washington, D.C. It is interesting to note that the city of Charleston is underneath the 33rd degree northern latitude. That seems to be the reason that the 33rd degree Masons selected this city as their home back in 1801. It is also thought-provoking to remember that it was in Charleston, South Carolina, that the first shots of the Civil War were fired at Fort Sumter. One could argue that this was just a coincidence, 
but it could also suggest that it was a way of telling the brothers not in the loop that the Masons were involved in the planning of the Civil War. There are some other interesting circumstances related to this 33rd degree northern latitude. President Bill Clinton was born in Hope, Arkansas, underneath the 33rd degree northern latitude. Let's presume that Bill Clinton learned about, or at least knew, the special significance of the 33rd degree northern parallel, and, it, and if so, it is possible that he felt he was destined to become president. Let's go further east, where the 33rd degree northern latitude goes over Dallas, Texas. And as you know, President John Kennedy was assassinated in Dallas, Texas on November the 22nd, 1963. And the day he was assassinated, the 22nd, when added to 11, the number of the month of November equals 33. But there is another reason he was murdered on November the 22nd. You might recall that it was on November 22, 1307, that Pope Clement V issued the papal bull entitled Pastoralis Preeminente, stating that the charges against the Knights Templar appeared to be true. So the Catholic Church inflicted a serious blow to the Knights Templar on November 22. So the Masons the heirs to the Knights Templar inflicted a serious blow to the Catholic Church by assisting in the assassination of John Kennedy, a Catholic. This is an overhead photograph taken of Dealey Plaza, the site of the assassination of President John Kennedy. The building in the red frame is the Texas School Book Depository, where it is claimed that Lee Harvey Oswald fired the fatal shots at the President. Dealey Plaza has an obelisk on the eastern side, and it is shown in the green frame. The obelisk is a favorite symbol of the Masonic Lodge. This is a photograph of this obelisk with the school book depository in the background. There is a plaque at the base of the obelisk saying that Dealey Plaza is the site of the first fraternal lodge in Texas. I believe that that means it was the site of the first Masonic Lodge in Texas, and here are some of the reasons. Just to the south of the obelisk on Houston Street is a statue shown here in the light blue frame. And this is a side view showing it in relation to the obelisk and the North School Book Depository to the north. The statue is of George Bannerman Dealey, the owner of the Dallas Morning Newspaper and a 33rd degree Mason. Texan, Texas was created by the Masons and their flag was designed by a member of the Masonic Lodge. Jim Bowie, Sam Houston, Stephen Austin, and Davy Crockett were all Masons at the Alamo. And in this photograph of Dealey Plaza, I have marked the route, the president's car in the orange frame, and you can see that the president was driven right by the obelisk. 
Should anyone wish information or additional information about why President Kennedy was assassinated, may I suggest that you obtain my DVDs entitled The Kennedy Assassination and Vietnam, America's Betrayal and Treason. And you will see why Kennedy was assassinated. After the assassination, President Lyndon Johnson, who was Kennedy's vice president, succeeded Kennedy upon his death. And he appointed Supreme Court Chief Justice Earl Warren to head the official investigation into the death of President Kennedy, a committee called the Warren Commission. That is Warren above number three. Numbers one and two shared a common experience with Justice Warren. All three of these men were members of the Masonic Lodge. Number one was Congressman Gerald Ford, later to become President of the United States. He was a 32nd degree Mason, but was later elevated to the 33rd. Number two was Senator Richard Russell, a 32nd degree Mason. And of course, number three was Chief Justice Earl Warren, a 33rd degree Mason. But the most important individual in the entire assassination plot was FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover, who was also a 33rd degree Mason. Another 32nd degree Mason was Arlen Specter, the chief counsel to the Warren Commission. He was later rewarded with the election as a U.S. Senator from Pennsylvania. So now you can know why the involvement of some of the members of the Masonic Lodge in the assassination plot never became public. Many of the key individuals investigating the assassination were members. I want you to know that there is photographic evidence that Leo Oswald did not, and I will say it again, did not shoot President Kennedy. And that evidence is in the Warren Commission report. And that means the Masons on the Warren Commission knew it. In other words, they framed an innocent man. And this is that photo. It's called the Alchins photograph because it was taken by James Alchins, an Associated Press photographer. You will notice that it was taken as the Kennedy car approached Mr. Alchins, and it was taken from the other side of the street. That is the Kennedy car approaching, and Mr. Alchins was on the driver's side of the car. Notice also that you can see the Texas School Book Depository in the background, directly between the two cars in the possession. Now notice the black area in the school book depository building. That is the main entrance to the building, and you will see a man leaning out of the doorway looking at the Kennedy car. This is the close-up of that man, and it will, I will now try to prove to you that this man is Lee Harvey Oswald. This is a picture taken of Lee Harvey Oswald just hours after the assassination, and he was wearing the clothes he was arrested in. And this is a slide-by-slide, slide-by-side slide showing that both men are wearing the identical clothing. Let me repeat this for the second time. The Alchins photograph was in the Warren Commission report. That means they knew Oswald did not shoot the president. And it also means that the Masons around the Warren Commission knew it as well. 
And once again, I'll repeat it. This whole commission and the Masons framed an innocent man. And more importantly, they protected the truth that Masons were directly involved in the assassination of President Kennedy. You might remember the quotation by Manley P. Hall that I cited previously because it says that the Masons ordain kings. The assassination of John Kennedy appears to teach that they also unordain kings. Now, why would the Masons want to be part of a conspiracy to unordain President John Kennedy? And I think I have the answer. You might remember that it was the Catholic Church and the King of France that burned Jacques de Molay, the leader of the Knights Templar at the stake. So these two murdered the leader of the Father to the Masonic Lodge. And it is easy to prove that Masons take vows to avenge the murder of Jacques de Molay. So what better way to avenge the leader of the Knights Templar than to assassinate John Kennedy the first Catholic president of the United States. The Masons sought revenge, and it took them over 600 years to accomplish that. That, I believe, is the reason the Masons got involved in the assassination of President Kennedy. Kenneth McKenzie, a high-ranking Mason, wrote in his encyclopedia, Freemasonry works in secret but it's benignant, defined as kindly to inferiors. It's benignant, kindly to inferiors fruits are visible in all lands. Notice that Mr. McKenzie considers the works of the Masons as being inofficial, uh, beneficial to us inferiors, and that we would be thankful if we only knew that they were the ones dispensing these fruits. And I wonder... how Jackie Kennedy would have responded when she would be told that the Masons consider the assassination of her husband to be a benignant fruit. And in another strange coincidence, President Kennedy's younger brother, Bobby Kennedy, was assassinated in the Ambassador Hotel in Los Angeles after a presidential primary victory. I don't know if you remember, but the words out of his mouth as he lay on the floor in that kitchen were, they finally got me, didn't they? No one has ever answered the question of who were the they that Kennedy referred to. But it appears as if Bobby knew that those who murdered his brother had also assassinated him. By the way, the red rectangle is over the clip-on tie that Bobby Kennedy pulled from the guard walking to his right as he fell down. It is claimed that this guard fired the fatal shot into Bobby Kennedy's head just behind his right ear. This is a photograph of Thane Caesar, the security guard that websites on the Internet say was the guard who fired the fatal shot. This is a photograph reportedly taken after the shooting of Mr. Cesar and another guard, and it appears as if Mr. Cesar was not wearing his tie. 
Bobby reportedly gave a speech a couple of weeks before he was assassinated, stating that he would use the power of the presidency if he was elected to investigate who assassinated his brother. Then we also point out that our state capital of Phoenix is underneath the 33rd degree northern latitude. This is the beautiful state flag of Arizona. And notice that it has a star setting on a field of blue. And outward from it radiates 13 rays and the star. And if the star in the center is the sun, as we are seeing, 13 is the mystical number of Lucifer, a key number to the Masonic Lodge. Our flag was sewn together by Nan Hayden, the wife of Senator Carl Hayden, a 33rd degree Mason. Many of Arizona's leading governmental officials were members of the Masonic Lodge. For instance, Senator Barry Goldwater was also a 33rd degree Mason. Former Governor Paul Fannin was a 33rd degree Mason. Congressman John Rhodes, as I remember, a Republican leader in the House of Representatives, was a 33rd degree Mason. So it seems that it helps your political career if you are a member of the Masonic Lodge. The 33rd degree northern latitude goes right through the far eastern nation known as Tibet. And this is their flag. It appears to be very similar to the one from Arizona, but it has only 12 rays protruding from a round object presumed to be the sun. Obviously, 12 rays plus the round sun would be 13. Maybe the flag from Tibet was the model for Arizona's flag. Isn't that interesting? The 33rd degree northern latitude goes right over the city of Nagasaki and is very close to Hiroshima, where the first and only atomic bombs exploded in anger have ever been dropped. But according to this article that appeared in the Arizona Daily Star, my morning newspaper, there is much evidence that the dropping of those bombs was not necessary. Simply stated, the bombs did not have to be dropped. Now, I would invite you to see if you can find one photograph of military targets destroyed in the two cities that were destroyed by the atomic bombs. And I can tell you that as far as my research is explored or discovered, you will not. No military targets. Because those two cities were not military targets. They were civilian targets. But these were not just civilians. They were, in the main, Japanese Christian civilians. Yoroka reported that Nagasaki was the center of a Christian population in Japan. The article was partially supported by this article that appeared in my afternoon paper here in Tucson in 2005. The picture shows the, quote, wasteland of war, unquote. And the caption underneath the picture says, the Roman Catholic Church stands out over the atomic bomb raised cityscape of Nagasaki in 1945. So there was a large Catholic population in Nagasaki, meaning it could be true that Nagasaki had a large Christian population. I've read elsewhere that Hiroshima was another city 
with a large Christian population. That means that the bombs were dropped on Christian Japanese civilians, not on military targets. It has been claimed that America dropped the bombs because it feared that if it launched a massive troop landing in Japan to end the war, 500,000 American lives would have been lost in the bloody war fighting the Japanese who were resisting the invasion of their homeland by a foreign power. Let me repeat, the dropping of the two atomic bombs was not necessary. That Japan had already sent word to America that they were willing to surrender. If you want to read about the evidence that I am right, may I suggest that you read that chapter in my book entitled, The Unseen Hand. While I am here, I would have to be honest with you, I have to warn you about my book. The Food and Drug Administration, in 1987, two years after I published it, sent me a letter declaring that I had to put a sticker on the book each time I sent out a copy. This is what that sticker must say. Warning, <laughs> may cause drowsiness. Now, the next question to be asked is, who ordered that the bombs be dropped? And the answer is President Harry Truman, who became president upon the death of President Franklin Roosevelt. But there's more to the story. This is an official Masonic portrait of President Truman wearing either the symbols of the 32nd or the 33rd degree of the Masonic Lodge. Truman was a 32nd degree Mason when he dropped the bombs, but four months after the dropping of the bombs, he was elevated to the 33rd degree. He murdered those Christian Japanese and by an incredible coincidence, Harry Truman was the 33rd president of the United States. And there's more, one more coincidence. The first atomic bomb was dropped on August the 6th, 1945. And if you add up the numbers of the month, day and year, they total 33. Just another coincidence, I am certain. And the last important Point of last point of importance about the 33rd degree northern latitude is that it goes very near Babylon, the site of the ancient mystery religion. Chapter 17, starting at verse 3 in the book of Revelation, John says this about Babylon. And I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, and upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints. I shall draw no conclusions about these scriptures except to say that it sounds to me like John was writing about some of the members of the Masons who kill people, meaning they are drunken with the blood of the saints. Just one more in this series of incredible coincidences, I am certain. 
As another high-ranking Mason, W.L. Wilmhurst, put it in his book entitled Masonic Initiation, the world little suspects what it owes to its hidden initiates. And to show you that Mr. Pike's statement about their involvement in world affairs is true, and to show the reader that he considers the public to be too ignorant to discover this truth, Manly P. Hall contemptuously wrote about us, the people on this earth, on page 58 in another of his books entitled, What the Ancient Wisdom Expects of Its Disciples. The ancient initiates whom the Masons link themselves to are the invisible powers behind the thrones of earth. And men are but marionettes dancing while the invisible ones pull the strings. We see the dancer, but the mastermind that does the work remains concealed by the cloak of silence. So, my fellow marionettes, I'm hopeful that you can see just how important it is that we learn all that we can about the Masonic Lodge. So that means to me that the Masons will be the secret power behind the throne and our churches and synagogues. We will not know that they are ruling anything, but they will be, and in fact, they are already. So the Masons are telling us that the process has already started, but we the people are blissfully unaware of that fact. Because in the 33rd degree, 32nd degree, in the 32nd degree, according to Mr. Pike, the true initiate is both king and priest over the people. I believe that I've discovered that the book does indeed contain only one secret, and I will attempt to make that secret known as I progress through this information. Pike wrote, If you reflect, my brother, you will no doubt suspect that some secret meaning was concealed in these words. Next, I would like to discuss the fact that the Masons have admitted that many of their religions, of the, many of the religions of the past, had a false worship. Some knew that the identity of the God being worshipped was different from the one that the average worshiper thought he was worshipping. These are the thoughts of Manly P. Hall, who dedicated his book entitled The Secret Teachings of All Ages to the proposition that concealed within the rituals of the ancients is a secret doctrine. In other words, the early gods were worshipped by two classes of worshippers, those who knew the secret identity of the God and those who did not. And to show that it is not just the ancient societies that believe this way, Mr. Pike repeatedly states that the Masons conceal the true identity of their God from the majority of the brothers in the Lodge. In fact, Mr. Pike also connected Masonry with the ancient religions that had two worships. He wrote this on page 483. And our lodges, called temples, where they worship their God, are full of the ancient symbols. So masonry can, taste, trace, masonry can trace their history back to the ancient religions. They have a God that they worship that is not revealed in its true identity to their fellow masons. 
So the Masons admit that they can trace their ancestry back to the ancient mystery religion, which is over 6,000 years old. In fact, Mr. Pike even goes further on page 624 and says that the two are the same. Masonry is identical with the ancient mysteries. These comments about how long Masonry has been in existence are an admission that the Masons are part of an ancient worship on this earth, one that goes back to the beginnings of the world. So Masonry connects itself with an ancient religion on the earth, and the fact that this ancient religion has kept itself secret from the world is perhaps the greatest secret of them all. And Masonry is part of it. If Masonry is a religion, it must have a code of morality. It must teach a moral set of values. Mr. Pike wrote this on page 35. The sole purpose of religion is an ethic. A dictionary defines the word ethic as a standard of morality. And Masonry, like all of the other religions, has a standard of morality. It is called situation ethics. Mr. Pike wrote on page 37 of his book entitled Morals and Dogma, all truths are truths of period and not truths for eternity. Mr. Pike starts by instructing the Mason that there are no moral absolutes because there are no eternal truths. The dictionary defines situation ethics as a system of ethics according to which moral rules are not absolutely binding, but may be modified in the light of specific situations. Therefore, the Mason is taught in their book entitled Morals and Dogma that there are no truths in any morality. And if that is true, the Mason is free to determine his particular morality for himself, depending upon the situation. However, situation ethics is not true. The Old Testament tells us in Judges chapter 17, verse 6, that it was once practiced by the Israelites. In those days there were no king in Israel, but every man did what was right in his own eyes. But we are smarter today. We would never make the same mistake twice. And the place where the Masons learn situation ethics is in their book entitled Morals and Dogma. Mr. Pike even went further and stated that no one knows the truth. He wrote this on page 160. No human being can with certainty say what is truth. This quotation should be of concern to the Christians and the Jews who believe that the Bible is inspired by God, who they contend is the author of all truth. So according to Mr. Pike, those believers are wrong because no human being can certainly, can with certainty say what is truth. Mr. Pike further defined their position with these four quotations taken from pages 163, 165, and 166. He states that the Mason is not confined to set forms of thought, of action, or of feeling. 
He accepts what his mind regards as true. What his conscience decides is right. All else, meaning a belief that there are moral absolutes, he puts far from him. When men entertain opinions diametrically opposed to each other, and each is honest, who shall decide which hath the truth? These quotations show just how convoluted Mr. Pike's thinking about morality is. He continued on page 167. No man has any right in any way to interfere with the religious belief of another. I can show with a little example that it is nearly impossible for Mr. Pike to have believed that statement. Let's, let's say, for example, that Mr. Pike was out in public and was approached by another man who was a member of the squashers' religion. This religion holds two basic tenets, that their God is taught that to achieve the utmost happiness, each member has to kill one man each, each day. And secondly, that no man has any right in any way to interfere with the religious belief of another. The second tenet would be, of course, in exact agreement with what Mr. Pike himself has stated that he believes. The squasher, squasher approaches Mr. Pike with a gun in his hand and says, My religion teaches me that I have to kill one man each day, and I, I have selected you as today's victim. And secondly, that no man has the right to interfere with my, my religious beliefs. Mr. Pike would be obligated to say, of course, it is also a tenet of my religion that no, that no man has the right to interfere with the religious beliefs of another. And since there are no moral absolutes like thou shalt not murder, I cannot interfere with your right to kill me. So please, please proceed as your religion dictates. Uh, Ralph Emerson says, I, I, I don't think so. It does not take a genius to figure it out that in all likelihood, Mr. Pike would never say such things. He could reasonably be expected to do all within his power to subdue this squasher and remove the threat to his life. He would not practice what his religion inside the Masonic Lodge teaches. He would act on a real belief that the moral absolute, thou shalt not murder, is correct, and that no man has the right to take his life, even if that man's religion demands it. It can also be presumed that he would correctly make a determination that he has a God-given, unalienable right to self-defense. Hypocrisy, thy name is Pike. Stupidity, thy name is Pike. But Pike is not alone with this line of thinking. Others have made similar outlandish statements. John Dewey, the father, uh, the American educator, and the so-called father of progressive education, 
was one of those who believed in situation ethics. He has been quoted as saying, there is no God and there is no soul. Hence, there are no needs for the props of traditional religion. Immutable truth is also dead and buried. There is no room for fixed natural law or permanent moral absolutes. I do not know whether Mr. Dewey was a member of the Masons, but he certainly wrote like one. He certainly believed in the same situation ethics that Mr. Pike believed in, because Mr. Pike also taught that there were no moral absolutes. Pike wrote on page 52 of Morals and Dogma, what is untrue today may become true in another generation. And the truth of today be reversed by the judgment of tomorrow. So today's absolutes may be reversed tomorrow. So just like Mr. Pike's statement that a fact that is untrue today may become true tomorrow, the words of Mr. Dewey also contain an absolute moral absurdity. Notice that Dewey wrote that an immutable truth is also dead and buried. An immutable truth defined the word immutable, a dictionary rather, a dictionary defined the word immutable as never changing or varying. Mr. Dewey said that those truths which are immutable can be changed. He said that immutable truth is also dead and buried. That means that Mr. Dewey believed that truth could be killed, meaning that he believed that it could be changed from a living condition to a dead condition. But by definition, something that is immutable cannot change. Once again, one does not have to be a genius to understand that something which is unchangeable is by definition, unchangeable. So something that is unchangeable cannot change. Yet Mr. Dewey said that something that is unchangeable can change. I have to amend my statement. To stupidity, thy names are Pike and...